Dylan DeChair, happy Monday to you and all the faithful Drop Zone listeners. I am your co-host, Sean Zock. We've got a jam-packed show today. We've got, I guess, technically three different segments. We've got Dylan sharing something he's burning on. We've got me sharing something that I'm burning on. And then we have an interview later on with Kyle Porter. He's a CBS sports writer. You probably know him if you pay attention to this podcast. Kyle's got a book out. We talk about all that and more kind of wrap up the PGA Tour season because it's December. It's a weeky, wacky, weeky time of year in the golf world. Um, but first, Dylan, what has your interest this week? No shocker here, Sean. Um, but I'm focused on the golf world's early Christmas present this year, which is that Tiger Woods is returning to play in a golf tournament when he will tee it up this week with Charlie, who's now 12 years old in the PNC Championship. So the Tiger Woods comeback begins at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando. Um, first and foremost, I should get out of the way that, no, we don't need any of this. No, we are not owed any of this. Tiger has done enough for his fans for a lifetime. And it's almost become trite to say it, but yes, I'm happy Tiger Woods is alive. I'm happy he can play with his kids, <laughs> period. I'm happy that he can chip and that he can putt and that he can swing a golf club. Um, but there is still the matter of the comeback because the immediate temptation is to say that this is a new Tiger Woods, that the old Tiger Woods would have rallied to play at his own tournament, the Hero World Challenge, or if he wasn't ready, that he would have waited it out to start his season at Torrey Pines or even Augusta National. And there's a temptation to say that this is a new Tiger because his son is now dictating his schedule and that this is more similar to a dad who's rallying to play in Christmas Day pickup pond hockey rather than someone getting ready for the PGA Tour. But I can't shake the feeling that none of that is quite right and that Tiger Woods has been downplaying his game as much as he possibly can. He's been talking about how short he's hitting it, how far away he is mm -hmm. from tournament competition and and how tricky it is the dealing with the realities of playing in his new body. But I think that he's talking to himself. I think he's trying hard to manage his own expectations because he's also been giving us clues of just how much he wants this. If you read between the lines, he's dropping that he's had family conversations about what it would be like to play the tour again. Um, he's been training on the far side of the range during a tournament he wasn't even playing in, clearly inspired by the competition, you know, like a racehorse that sees his other competitors and starts to take off. He's been comparing his future limited schedule to that of Ben Hogan, who, by the way, won a bunch of majors playing a limited schedule, Sean. Oh. Here's the thing. Tiger has never wanted any sort of off-course narrative to take over. He's never sought redemption for past mistakes in interview settings or off-course activity. He's already made it clear he doesn't want to talk about the crash. Not what happened before, not what happened during, not what happened after. And so it's obvious that he doesn't want the crash or his response to it to be his legacy. Instead, his legacy is still going to come back to what happens on the course. I think that he thinks there's still a chapter to be written in his professional golf career. We don't know about results. It's damn hard to perform on the PGA Tour, even if you don't have any of the factors that Tiger Woods is dealing with. But we do know that there's no counting him out. And we know that this final chapter, like all the others, is going to include a ton of effort and determination. And all of that, Sean, begins this week at the PNC. Wow. 
You got me hyped. You fired up. I don't know if I should be. I don't know. Like generally this week, I think I'm going to exist kind of uh, beneath a lot of the hype that a lot of people are going to have. Like I'm going to be a little bit more low key with this whole thing. Uh, it, it To me, it still feels like a family affair more than a tiger affair. This is, I think, more about his son's uh, dreams, hopes and realities more than it is tigers. But uh, it will be. It will be cool uh, to see him playing on camera again with, you know, actual down-the-line shots, actual slow-motion swings, not, you know, from 300 yards away with a grainy iPhone 8 or something totally. like that. Um, it, it, will be, it will be cool. Uh, one thing that I don't think anyone's really talking about yet, and it's probably premature, it's just like, should we be comparing Tiger to Ben? Like, should Tiger be comparing himself to Ben Hogan at all? Like, this is a guy who was in a, a car crash involving a bus in, what, the 1960s? 40s? 50s? 60s? 50s? A while ago. <laughs> Half a century ago. Um, modern medicine has Tiger Woods back where he is more than anything. Um, yes, his his rehab, I'm sure, has been intense at some stages you know optimistic pessimistic everything i just don't know if like and tiger did this to us he said it early on in his first press conference i just don't know if ben hogan's the guy for us to compare him to because like you know you said ben hogan he did win a little bit after after his accident but like the tour wasn't the tour back then it kind of cuts both ways i mean on the one hand hogan was just playing against like Tom, Dick, and Harry from down the block. Like, he probably could have finished top 20 just, you know, before any any medical improvements. Yeah, by waking up. So, Tiger definitely has the disadvantage of playing against a PGA Tour that is insanely good. Um, and, by the way, thank goodness he doesn't have to go through, say, Q school to get his status back. I mean, that would be fascinating. But instead, yes. he's got this lifetime PGA Tour status. He can tee it up whenever he wants. Um but yeah, I mean, there there is, you know, this is not like a miracle. This is the miracle of modern medicine. This is the the fact yeah. that Tiger has the very best surgeons in the world. That he has really good rehab people. That he kind of has a blueprint that he mm -hmm. can follow. So yeah, I mean, I, you're obviously correct to not get carried away this week. Um, this is the beginning of the beginning of any sort of comeback. Mm -hmm. It's just he's stuck in an impossible place here where any sign of any sign of life, any sign of potential comeback is going to get blown way out of proportion. But at the same time, we can't discount that. So there's going yes. to be no way to, to, to hold the proper nuance here to like keep proper perspective. We can try. Um, but yeah, I think thinking about this as the very beginning of the beginning of the way back, I think that's the only way to do it. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. I mean, there won't be a next step mm, publicly yeah. for Tiger. I mean, gosh, probably until like late January right. at the earliest. He's not going to play any other events. And he, and he probably shouldn't even play Tory. I agree. I don't really think that that's a course that necessarily at this point in his career. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I know he's got such great history there, but it just, it's not that great a course. It's It tends to be chilly there. I know it's... San Diego, but it's like there's yeah. this marine layer morning. It's always 50 one of the days there. He's 
wearing his sweater, having a hard time warming up. Like the, the rough is long. It's a really difficult golf course. I'm really not sure that that one is the answer. We played it. They can tip it out to like 7,900 yards if they feel like it. So I would be surprised if Tory is where we see it. Call me crazy, but one of the steps on his, you know, proverbial comeback could be the Valspar. Mm. We're talking Tampa Bay, an event that he's played before, an event that's not too far from home, an event that actually uh, it won't require him to shoot 25 under. It's a, a tricky golf course. He can he doesn't have to hit driver everywhere. Um, yeah. That that might be crazy, but anyways. Tiger could be the one to save the Honda Classic. I mean, look at us. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but it would be right in his backyard. It's a little bit more of a uh, course that you plod yeah. your way along. You don't necessarily overpower it. But, Sean, we are going to talk a lot more about Tiger Woods this week. We've talked a lot about him the last couple of weeks. I want you to take us away from the world mm. of Tiger. What is your big thing this week? My big thing is munis. Now, <laughs> You know, Tiger and Tiger's father grew up playing Munis. We love Munis. I don't think anybody in golf who I really respect and trust doesn't love Munis. Um, but for, for the people who don't know, Dylan, what, what is a Muni? What does that mean? What does it imply? Muni is a municipal course. It's, it's essentially a course that's run by the government. Could be city government, state government, county government. Think like anything from just a city golf course to something inside a state park. Um, we celebrate the munis because as you have said, Sean, they're the lifeblood of yes. the game. So yeah, we, uh, we stand the munis, especially on Muni Monday. That is a good definition of a muni. So when it comes to these muni courses, perhaps the most important thing, unfortunately, like a lot of government programs is like, what is the cost of doing business at a muni? Um, you know, very well, government's they take a lot of things seriously, but one of those things is city, county, federal, state budgets. And those things are made public. Like their business is known. And if you want a water fountain downtown, it's going to come out of some government budget. It's going to have some type of tax dollars, maybe federal, state, government uh, grants attached to it. There's going to be maybe some donations, but these these bu budgets are they're public domain, and that's often how this stuff works. Munis are really no different than that water fountain you want built downtown. Now, only the biggest drop zone fans, the people that have been our ride or dies for years, would remember that we did a podcast almost exactly four years ago. It was about Lakeshore Golf Course in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Do you remember doing that? Yeah, can we get a little sound drop of that podcast in here, you think? <laughs> We definitely can. Welcome to the golf.com podcast. I'm Dylan DeChair, and today we're going to discuss the Muni. It was called, What's the Value of a Muni? That was the title. And if you're listening to us now, you probably should go back and listen to that. Um, so basically four years ago, December 2017. It was all about Lakeshore Golf Course, and that is a course that is close to my heart. Almost my entire extended family lives in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. The year that we profiled it, my brother was a public member at the course. I've played it with him. I've played it with other family and friends. But the course was not doing well. Um, and within the city budget, that just puts a gigantic question mark on that course and the other munis. Like, we are in the red here. That is what local city councilmen and councilwomen care about. Is this thing in the black or is it in the red? What is the best use of this land? Could we 
eliminate one of the nines. That's what they were thinking of doing at Lakeshore. We'll take away one of the nines and we'll turn the other nine into a park. Also, someone brought up Oshkosh Corp, this huge, great employer in the city of Oshkosh. They were thinking about leaving town, moving to Appleton. That's like 45 minutes away. Should we offer the land to Oshkosh Corp? And this is land that's on Lake Butamore. Like, let's keep them in town. Let's do away with this golf course. That's exactly... Yeah, my sense, Sean, would be that if you live in Oshkosh, you don't want Oshkosh Corporation <laughs> leaving no, town. No, but that is a good example of what was facing a Muni in Oshkosh. A good example was facing Munis all over the country in 2015, 2016, 2017. And so that's what Oshkosh City did. They gave the golf course land away to a corporation that built its headquarters along a lake. It was sad, but it was a microcosm of the muni industry as a whole. Uh, and what I found to be interesting is back four years ago, our podcast created just one, just another headline on the Google machine of muni struggling and city or county does away with it. But as you know, that was four years ago. Things have changed, and that's a trend that I like to keep close to my heart. I started noticing just last week, which is kind of late because we've been uh, dealing with the COVID boom for about almost two years now. Up in Connecticut, you have Norwich Golf Club. That's one example. 15% increase in revenues in 2020. They reset a goal for 2021. A little bit higher, but completely reasonable. They cleared that goal by 17%. Go a little further west, Pennsylvania, White Deer Golf Course. This is a course that had been in the red for years, at least three years in a row, being in the red. Suddenly, with a great 2020, great 2021, they're making so much money that the management company of that course cut a check for 25 grand, gave it back to the government. Sherrill Park Golf Course, we go down south to Dallas. The last two years, they've averaged a 28% increase in revenue over the last two years. They're taking all that money now. They're recreating the drainage system. They're trying to make a better golf course. The positive headlines are everywhere with Muni's, Dylan. They're not just revenue-based, though. They're a little ideological, too. Like, this is, this is all within the last week, all of it on Google. If you think about what are Muni's, they're not going to rip you off. Well, up in Michigan, we go north now. The man who is running the golf course was asked by local government officials, should we boost our memberships up 10%? Because, you know, the cost of doing business is the cost of doing business. We want to make a little bit of money. He said, no, we're not going to rip the people off. We're going we're gonna to boost it up by 3%. That did really well for us in 2021. I think it's the perfect number for 2022. You think about what are munis again? They're, they're accessible places, right? They're places that everyone can go to, especially every month of the year. Well, last week, we go a little further south and west, Rockford, Illinois. There's a little heat wave. This Rockford, Illinois is in northern Illinois. It's right on the border of Illinois and Wisconsin. You don't play golf in December, but there is a heat wave. December 2nd, Thursday, was the best year all year for Swan Hills, the local muni. 232 people showed up and pegged it that day. A full tee sheet in early December. That is the role that munis play. That is another step of positivity and optimism across munis across the country. So what am I saying with all of this? I think munis are genuinely healthier than they've ever been. And why is that a big deal? Because Tiger Woods, as you said, is coming back just this week. Tiger Woods hasn't played golf 
in, in the public eye all year. This is not a muni boom like the one we saw maybe in the early 2000s that was based off of Tiger Woods bringing people to golf courses and inspiring people. This is people being inspired organically, people wanting to be outside, people wanting to get out of munis, what munis have been wanting to deliver them for years. And, you know, I started to think like, okay, is this a huge deal? Is this a big deal that in December of 2021, things are a lot more positive than December of 2017? I think it really is beyond just the numbers. It's just kind of an idea of what, what microeconomics delivers to people in every industry is that you see golf courses that are making money based off of people playing them. And they in turn turn all that money because they are a government entity. They're not taking this necessarily as a profit. They're turning it back into the golf course. There's a course down in New Mexico, Los Alamos Gol County Golf Course, that is taking all the money that they're getting. And what did they turn it into recently? They turned it into an automated driving range uh, dispenser. They turned it into a handicapped golf cart, which they sorely needed. And they turned it into a new... A Wi-Fi com communication system for their maintenance staff, which they badly needed. They needed it a decade ago. They're finally getting it now because their Muni is delivering positive numbers, numbers in the black. It's slow and steady. These improvements are coming. You have to continue to believe in Muni's. And compared to where we were four years four years ago, it is like it's to me. It's one of the most positive stories in all of golf. I feel inspired listening to you, Sean. It and, and I would go so far as to say that you're talking me into a potential golden age of the municipal golf course because you wrote an article about this that published this morning on golf.com for, uh, for our Muni Monday series. And there were two things that really struck me. One, you just covered this, this idea that uh, there is a virtuous cycle where if these, these golf courses are making money, they will be able to then make a better golf course and in turn make a better product for their customers and then hopefully make more money. I mean, that that's when it's going well. That's mm -hmm. how the system works. The second thing that you said that I really liked was that munis exist to provide for the customer rather than profit off the customer. Obviously, it's trickier than that because as you underlined, you need to show a profit at the end of the day, but the goal is not to make a profit. That's not, that's not the sole end game the end game is also to provide the access to a golf course the access to recreation for you know a, a city's residents and so i think when muni golf is doing well golf in general is doing well it's in some ways the healthiest or the the most important sign of the game's health i think comes from play at munis from what i can tell in seattle the munis are in high demand. It's hard to get a tea time. If, if the weather is tolerable, people are filling them up, uh, not just the golf courses themselves, the driving ranges, um, and you know everything that touches golf seems to be doing well. Now that then you can reinvest some of that money, I hope that that means good things for the munis going forward too. Yeah, it's it's tricky. The, like, like I said, it's slow and steady, these improvements. I was talking to one of the manager of that Los Alamos County golf course, and he's like, yeah, man, government officials don't approve this stuff very quickly. It, 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 it's a very slow process, but it comes down to your numbers. And right now, numbers are positive everywhere. So there's going to be positive movement, I think, at a lot of munis just about everywhere. You know, it, it's tricky, though. It, like, this entire thing is tricky. We've outlined it. 
when we think about golf courses, we talk to people about a Muni, we often say, ah, it's just a Muni, you know, like how great is it? How great is that golf course Jackson park down on the South side of Chicago? Ah, it's just a Muni, but it's nice. Like that's the discussion so often with these courses. But if you get rid of these courses, I mean, you're, you're killing off, I think like maybe like 10% of the golf courses countrywide. Like that's a huge deal. We need them. They def, they are the lifeblood. As I said in that article, as we said it, you know, 10 minutes ago, we need them. And it's just really good that they are healthy. The only thing that makes me nervous is that this stuff comes in cycles that, you know, in some ways the pandemic was perfectly suited to people going and playing golf and that maybe we're seeing a little bit of a bubble. But my hope, Sean, is that people are going to keep getting out there, seeing everything great about golf, playing it in a more affordable way, getting their friends introduced to the game and hopefully, you know, retaining some of those people. So I don't know. Good news. Fingers crossed. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) It's all good news here on the Drop Zone this week. Let's move on to our interview with Kyle Porter. He's got probably more good news than just about anybody in the golf industry. He wrote a a book. It's called Normal Sport. Um, We talked to Kyle for about 25, 27 minutes or so, uh, just about the golf season at large. We kind of broke down what was the wackiest moments of the year, how Bryson was kind of the most important golfer of the year, how Jordan Spieth was one of the most players of the year, all the things you forgot about. Talking to Kyle was awesome. I mean, his book is basically going through just the, appreciating the weirdness of the golf season, of the PGA Tour season in particular, and all the ins and outs, the things that we laugh about, uh, the little minutiae that make golf an interesting sport to cover. Um, first, Sean, I do want to mention Inside Golf. This is our new subscription product on golf.com uh but the subscriptions right now are insane i mean you can sign up and essentially get your money back and more in a free magazine subscription and a 20 dollars gift certificate to the pro shop just if you sign up which is 20 bucks for the year so (laughs) you are basically stealing from us if you do this take it away i actually don't know why anyone wouldn't do it uh and the, the key to doing this Go to golf.com slash inside drop zone. That's golf.com inside drop zone. You are literally instantly getting your money back. You're getting just a whole bunch of free stuff. I'm going to do it. Happy holidays. I don't even need to do it. So that's golf.com slash inside drop zone. Thanks for listening. Here's Kyle Porter. Kyle Porter has joined us now. Kyle, it's the end of the year. Another absolutely ridiculous year in golf. But you are the man who has kind of chronicled all of it. At least you have recently gone through everything that seemed to matter this past year. We want to lean on you for what you think were the actual craziest things that we've already forgotten about. Weird stuff that happened in January, March, February. What is atop the list for you? Like, what is the wackiest things that happened in golf this year that we've already forgotten about? Oh, gosh. I love the way that you said that about, like, here are the things that mattered. Because I think it's it's fun to document those kind of for, for entertainment, right. But also for posterity, when we look back on, Hey, what actually did matter in, in 2021? Cause a lot of it just, and, and it's, it's subjective. It's like the stuff that matters to you and, and me and Dylan here uh, might not matter to like my dad, you know, like it's, it's, yes. it's kind of um, it, you know, the, the, the book and, and a lot of the stuff that we talk about is built around 
what people that are kind of in our world, uh, our very specific world enjoy. But in terms of the things that as I went back through and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. The one that stands out the most, because I just completely forgot about it was Bryson having a, uh, an umbrella guy running with his, <laughs> with his ball in, uh, in Kapalua. He was trying to shield his ball from the wind, which is just a preposterous, but also a very Bryson thing to do. Um, so that was, that was one of the ones that stood out. I'd um, forgotten about that. That's a throwback to the beginning of the year, right? Totally. It was like the sixth day of the year, Dylan filming Bryson in the dark. There was so much Bryson was so like, I went into this thinking that Spieth was going to be kind of the through line of the whole year because of just the roller coaster and everything that he participated in. But Bryson was the through line, like from the very beginning, mm -hmm. uh, through the Ryder cup and, and not really into the fall. Well, I, even if you include the, 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 uh, match with Brooks, he was the one that kept popping up, even though he only won one time. I thought he, I, I went wow. back. I thought he won like three or four times. He only won once at Bay Hill. Um, so there was so many different things that he did. The UFOs that he talked about at Kiowa, <laughs> they had to take the netting down at, uh, or they had to put the netting up at, at, uh, RBC heritage. And then on he the WD didn't even show. And then he withdrew. So you have these cranes out there with this netting on the back of the driving range. And uh, Porath did like this whole like investigative report about it. And then Bryson doesn't show up to the tournament. It was, there was so many absurd things. Um, so yeah, it, you know, I tried to hit on kind of the irreverence of the entire thing. Like it's just su such silliness and such ridiculousness, but also a ton of fun. And I looked at some like, kind of deeper things like Matt one thing that's kind of sticking out in my head right now uh, and by the way another thing that happened uh, Lee Westwood raised the roof on the 17th green at uh, at TPC Sawgrass just a just a full uh, John Shire from Duke at Cameron Indoor you know <laughs> hell yeah uh, but Max Homa winning Riviera to me was one of the that wasn't a funny thing but it was a more insightful um, man it was it, like Looking back, I was like, it's so meaningful for somebody to, who's actually like from a place, like from somewhere to win at the place that he grew up. And that really, as I looked back and recalled everything and watched the videos and read the quotes, that really came through. So there was some deeper, like less uh, silly things that I kind of looked at as well. Yeah, it's funny. There's certain phrases that I think get added to like the the golf sicko lexicon every year. And I was just putting together a couple of them. And that one from Max Homa was a, an earnest one that got added, which was forgive quickly, which definitely yeah. stuck out to me uh, reading your, your book back because yeah, Max talked to his wife right in between yeah. missing a three foot birdie putt to win in regulation and then going to the playoff. And, uh, and that's what she told him basically reminded him forgive quickly. Um, and that really stuck with me. There's a couple others like roll P read roll. I think that that's <laughs> one that really, and then, uh, the talk amongst the boys, Xander, uh, referenced yes. that when talking about Patrick, that was, said the talk that was from the Tory, right? Great. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that forgive quickly definitely was, uh, the earnest end of that spectrum. Totally. Forgive quickly was, uh, those are, those are some, man, we, I should have included that. Like what maybe next year, what yeah, got glossary. added? Yeah. What got added to the lexicon? Um, and I, I actually, I texted Max, the, uh, the illustration, my illustrator, Jason page was, he really 
made the book work because you can have the writing and that's fine. And maybe it's funny and you like it or whatever, but the illustrations give it depth, like give it some like substance. And I texted Max the illustrate the, the illustration that he made where it says forgive quickly with the little golf ball with the smiley face on it. And he's like, that's, he's like, hell yeah, dude, that's awesome. And he should get that blown up into a poster. Yeah, in his house. we, we need to, we need to do posters out of it. Cause I'd love to, to put some back here with, you know, behind my, my, uh, in my background here, but yeah, I could use a couple some, too. There, <laughs> there was, yeah, you could use like 15 back there. You need a gallery. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some cool stuff that my illustrator Jason just really gave some uh, uh, some cool depth to, uh, such as that one. When I think of uh, your book now, I've read I would say the first third of it. Um, I I was trying to reset where I was when I was experiencing these moments and what I thought was going to happen. And I think a good example of something that fits into your book would be Phil standing in the middle of the fairway at Kiowa asking for a camera drone to be moved out of his through line. He was, he was hitting into a green and there was a drone in the distance. And that was just a moment in time where Brooks Kepka is chasing down Phil Mickelson. Yeah. And Phil Mickelson has like 30 holes left in this tournament and he's 50 plus years old. And I'm just like, there's, there's no way that Phil Mickelson wins this major because he is worried about a drone yeah. and Mr. Machine Brooks Kepka is chasing him down. I think there are so many moments in your book where I was like, wow, that happened. And I honestly believed the opposite was going to happen. Totally. And that, that's the, the, one of the things I was telling uh, some, it might've been Chris Solomon on the no line up podcast about was it's, it's fun to look backward because everything we do us three and everybody, most of the people in this industry is like in the moment, here's what I think this means, but really I yes. have no idea. Uh, I, I mean, I know what it means for like right now, but I don't, I, I can't project that out and to look backward and have some of that context of like Phil's PGA win. I mean, to broaden it out, Phil's PGA win is much crazier in December than it was in, in May. And it was already really crazy in May. Phil didn't finish in the top 150 in strokes gained in 2021. He's not, if you go to data wow. golf, he's not on the list. Like if you, <laughs> you, you have to go to their like all time list, which obviously he's, he's on since 2004, but he's not on the 2021 list because he, he wasn't one of the 150 best guys in the world. And so to have that kind of, cause at the time you're like, Oh, maybe Phil go on a little run. I think he said that actually in his, uh, in his presser, <laughs> he's like, who knows? I might go on a little run here, rip off a U.S. open, get on the Ryder cup team. And none of that happened, Didn't which, happen. which is fine because it makes, it makes what he did. I think even better. It, it makes it more impressive uh, to look back on. So I, I totally agree with you that having the context of looking backwards, uh, is it makes for a, a different viewpoint than what we get kind of day to day as we do this job. Your favorite golfers to think and write about, I don't think I'm going out on a ledge here, uh, include Rory and Spieth. And I'm wondering yeah. if you could, you could tell us one thing that we learned about each of those guys this year. Well, the, the, the one thing that stands out for both of them, the first is Spieth had this quote to Solly, uh, from a one-on-one -on -one interview that he did. And it was about using money as the crutch. And I included it in the book because he, because, because Sally asked him like, um, 
Hey, why do you like, why are you grinding like this when you've made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and you're 28 years old? And he's like, man, money is such a crutch to like getting out of a funk and to, to being great at your craft. And I think guys like him, which there's not many that have kind of gotten to the end of money. Like he does, it, it's not a thing that he probably ever thinks about. Um, I think it's cool when they're like, no, I actually like care about my craft a ton at uh, enough to be on the, the range at Harding Park, just, just, just grinding so hard to, to find something, to like pull something out of the ether. And I just, I don't know. I, I think I would have thought that before, um, but I really, it really crystallized for me this year that he just, he's somebody who's kind of low-key, psychotic but not not in the like i'm yelling at greller type of way but in the i want to be like so so good at golf type of way and i just thought that came out uh this year and then for rory i mean i wrote like i think a fifth of the book is about him at the Ryder cup but he i think the thing that i learned about rory this year is that he um lacks self-confidence in a very peculiar way and I think the reason he lacks self-confidence at times, and I wrote about this, is he, he's got so many people around him that he wants to, he kind of, he, he wants to like um, appeal to them. He wants to prove himself to them because his, his agent, his business manager, his coach, he, he's just, he's got more people around him than maybe anybody in golf. And because he is who he is and he's self-aware and he's, he's, you know, relatively humble for the position that he's in. I think he just, he so desires to, um, to prove himself to those people. And when he doesn't, I think it results in this like lack of self-confidence. And so when you see it, like the reason he cried at the Ryder cup and just completely broke down is because all these, uh, people around him that don't, they're not being paid to believe in him, like his coach and his manager and everything are. They're like, no, we believe in you. He was slotted to go 11th in singles on Sunday. And a bunch of people stood up on Saturday and said, Rory's going first. Like he's Rory, you know? And to, to, to receive that confidence and belief from other people is so empowering. And mm -hmm. so anyway, I kind of dive deep into that in the book. And I think it's what we saw at Portrush a couple of years ago, where he didn't realize that all these people in, in Northern Ireland believed in him like they did. And then you get the second round and he goes on a run and people are just losing their minds. And he, he felt that, um, he felt that belief from other people. And then he tore it up the rest of the year. He won twice, eight top tens and in, in 10 starts. And you kind of saw a little bit of that after the Ryder cup as well. So I was surprised by how much I think he at times lacks self-confidence, but I think it's a, it's a derivative of his, his humility and self-awareness that guys like DJ and, and uh, you know, maybe somebody like uh, Patrick Cantwell just never really thinks about. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. Uh, so the book is called Normal Sport, and it's got to be at least a little bit of a sarcastic title. <laughs> um, do you think golf is the least normal sport? Uh, for sure. And the, here's the reason. I want to see if you guys agree with this. I think the reason is because it is, it is played in such different places and landscapes. And it just, there's, there, I think there are more variables in golf than you can go to Arrowhead or or uh, AT&T or 
Denver and the football field is the same. It's the exact same thing. Now the, the stadium might look a little different, but golf courses and like the physical contours of a golf course, you, you, they're so like very, I mean, think about the U S open John Rahm hits a ball on nine over this fence in front of a building that, that services patients in endocrinology. And you're like, what the hell? Like, what is, what is that? What, what's going on right now? That's a good point. And he gets a drop and, and go, makes a birdie and goes on to win the U.S. Open. If that endocrinology building doesn't exist, he might not win the U.S. Open. How do you, how could you say that any other sport is, is less normal than that? You know, and, yeah. and I thought about that. I thought about that at the Olympics. You know, Apple, what, what were you the Apple Prince over here? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I wanted to do a chapter on that, but you've got, you've got uh, 17 guys on the green in this playoff. You've got guys uh, next to the green watching people play out like it's the Sunny Hana amateur. And you're like, what? Just the variables involved with all of that. Uh, it makes it, I think, again, very, um, it just makes it absurd. And it makes it, I think if you, if you look at it, it's, it's a very irreverent, fun thing to be celebrated and, and enjoyed. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about golf and it being a normal sport on Monday, watching the Patriots play the bills and it's blowing like 50 and they, you know, they can't throw the ball because of that. And it's, you know, these wild conditions that have changed the whole game. And I was thinking like, man, this is, this is golf like every other week. You, you know, this is what happens when the wind picks up in the afternoon, the greens get too baked out. There's, you know, crazy rain or hail at yeah. Pebble Beach. Like that's the, and that's in pe in football, people freak out when there's a little morning snow on the field or something. Um, and I think that's, that's like golf's value proposition, basically. Well, and that's what I think back to uh, 2015 at St. Andrews. You remember when it got crazy on, I think it was Friday. And uh, this RNA official comes up to Kepka. Do you remember this? Yes. And the Kepka was like, I, I ain't playing. Your king was like, <laughs> I'm out. And uh, the guy, he said something like, dude, I'm not playing in this. And the, the RNA guy was like, uh, sir, I am a sir or something like that. And he goes, I don't give a, you know, who, I don't care who you are. Like, I'm not hitting, I'm not hitting the ball out there. So, yeah, I just, I thought of that as you were talking about um as you were talking about the weather there this is very much a modern golf book this is not your this is not your dad's golf book uh, right, i'm wondering right. who some of your writing influences were in constructing this and deciding to lay it out kind of in real time um i mean it's a pdf but at the same time it's very thoughtfully uh illustrated so who were you kind of trying to channel or is this just a natural extension of, of what you already do day to day? Yeah. So two things on that, the, the, the broader inspiration for it was actually Shay Serrano who has written about uh, the office and scrubs and a million other things, but those were kind of the, I saw what he did with the PDF thing. And I was like, Oh, that's, I think that's what this is because honestly, I mean, to, to be able to do this, I didn't start until I think October 5th or 6th. I didn't wow, start writing geez. it. So the timeline is preposterous. And my wife was not <laughs> delighted by that timeline. I mean, she was, she, the first like month and a half went great. The last two or three weeks have been not great. It's been really difficult. Um, but you, you have, to, you can't write this in like February of 2022, right? You have to do Old it news. by the end of the year. 
like all that to say, you can't really make it into a physical book because of the, the, you extend the timeline even further and then it gets pushed. And it just, it made sense as a PDF because of that. And also uh, because the illustrations, I think really pop on when you're reading on an iPad, when you're reading on a tablet um, or even just like reading on your computer. So that, that part of it uh, made sense. And then, you know, the second thing I would say is I get frustrated with the fact that I think sometimes it feels like Twitter is this thing that is very vapid and just everything goes into the ether like 10 minutes later. And I was able to use that to go back and unearth tweets from you guys, um, the No Ain't Up guys, the uh, Porath, KVV, Bacon, DJ Pihowski, all these guys that, that are kind of in our world. And I was, I was able to use it as a repository for all these things that happened. And so you, you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about uh, Siwoo Kim and Charles Schwartzel trying to shake hands on the 18th green at Augusta and just, just this, <laughs> it was almost an international disaster. Like what happened on that green <laughs> between those two. So I really enjoyed leveraging uh, Twitter as a repository rather than as this just conveyor belt of information that we never, that we never see again. This is a book with hyperlinks. Yeah. So it's, it's linked to some of y'all stuff to, to, other people's work that that um, that that uh, that I read or, or kind of consulted throughout, not only throughout the year but also throughout the writing of the book. It, it feels very bingeable if a book is bingeable. Like I I was flying through it last night and I found myself like getting distracted at how much time was going by. Maybe I'm a slow <laughs> reader. I don't know. But uh, was it difficult to scope? Like was was there an example of something that kind of gets left on the cutting room floor? Like you know, this would fit in this, but you know, I kind of have to move on. So the hard thing about the scope of it was I started out, I started out in Hawaii and then you go to the Sony open and the Sony open gets like two sentences. Right. And then yeah. you get to the masters and it gets like 4,000 words. And, and the thing that I struggled with was I didn't want to go deeper on the Sony open. You only need to mention three things from the Sony open. The hard part was how much of the majors do I include? Do I, because basically, I mean, you guys know, like major weeks are insane. There's so much that happens in those seven days. Um, and so I struggled with like, do I need to go shot by shot here? And there were times that I did. I did it a little bit with the open. I did it with Phil when he gets to the back nine on Sunday. And I think I think I struggled with like, and I got, the, the more I wrote, the deeper I got, which was not good. Because I just got, I was like, oh, I got to include this. I think looking back on it, if I do it again in the future, I would pull back on some of the major stuff just a little bit, um, just to, just to make it shorter, you know, just to really include the things that, that really, uh, that really mattered. So I don't know, that was, that was the kind of the hard part that I, uh, that I had the hardest time with was how, what minutia to include from the major weeks and from, from Ryder Cup week. When you look back, Kyle, what do you think will be your biggest takeaway from the 2021 golf season? Um, whether it's a single moment, whether it's something that you did, what, what's the most memorable moment of the entire golf year? Oof. Can I give you three? Or do Please, I have to give you one? Give me three. So the three that, that come to my head right away are the bow at Augusta. Um, Phil's Saturday, Sunday at Kiowa was surreal. It was surreal in the moment because you watch it, you watch most majors and you're like, wow, this is really important. It's really meaningful. Wikipedia pages will be updated based on this information. 
you're watching that major and you're like, there might, I guess now there have been, there might literally be books written about what is happening right now. And I had a hard, I don't know about you guys. Were you guys there? I was there. Yeah. I was in that I had a mosh pit on 18. I had, you, did anybody go for your knees? Like Kepka? <laughs> I think Kepka went for my knees. <laughs> it was a reverse. I had a hard time and I'm curious about your experience. I had a hard time staying in the moment and like trying to enjoy it because it, it felt so other. It felt so surreal in, in the same way that Tigers win in 19 at Augusta did where you're like, I, I want to stay in this moment and try to enjoy it. But it's almost difficult because it's it almost feels fake. Like it almost feels like I'm watching a, a, a movie of this happening rather than like kind of living it out alongside these people um did did you like was that your experience also yeah and i think you you mentioned it in the book talking about how you know one of your favorite things you wrote all year maybe your favorite thing was writing about phil on saturday at the pga and yeah. i mean it, when you talk about the fleeting nature of our jobs like writing something good on the saturday of a major yeah, yeah. is is useless because it dis it, it's irrelevant by 1 p.m on sunday um so I think when it came to the actual scene, I mean, I was off somewhere else and then I could kind of see the crowd forming on 18. I, I was thinking about going in to like start typing and then go to the press conference afterwards. But then when I saw the like the masses forming around uh, Phil on 18, I just trotted back out there and, and uh, I could just tell that something weird and crazy was going to happen. I didn't expect it to turn into full on festival the way it is <laughs> um, because you just don't, that's not something that happens. Like yeah. I know that I know there have been one offs like tiger at the tour championship, uh, but where collectively everyone is just experiencing something that is making them feel in a way that most golf tournaments don't for everyone to be going through that at the same time, I think gave it that really surreal feeling. Yeah. Very, yeah. Kind of out of body. It felt very much like a 1930s tournament at the end where people are just pushing in on the green and it's like, there's, it felt like a ticker tape parade, you know? And I think Phil, it being Phil was what mattered. DJ Pajoski did that great thread about like the reason Phil's beloved, which it, it's hilarious that Phil has become this, like, like the people's champ. It's like that dude, like he drinks bottles of wine that cost more than the first house I bought, you know, like I, it, he's not like the, He's not a, he's not a man of the people, but, but he's become that because he, he has kind of let people in enough that you feel like, you know, these things about him, even though you don't really know, I don't know. It's, that's a whole other podcast probably, but that one felt very surreal. And then, you know, maybe this one was more personal for me, but I think it's, it also stood out was just Rory at the Ryder cup and how that played out. And, the fact that we hadn't had a Ryder Cup in three years, it's my favorite event. It's it's just such a it's such a meaningful event. And the way that all ended with this US dream team, Rory crying, Westwood and Poulter crying, like it it was, I don't know, man. Like I, when I think back about 2021, I think those are the three moments uh that I will remember the most. Uh just off the top of my head. I'm probably missing maybe Rom's, you know, one-two finish at Tory would be up there, but I would put those, I would put that one behind those three. I love it. Well, tell the people where they can find normal sport. Yeah. A normal sport 
normalsport.com. So anormalsport.com. I'm not selling it on uh, Amazon or, um, yeah, you, that's the only place you can buy it. It's just a- Don't tell us where you're what, not selling it, Kyle. What did, what did you, you guys- are. Well, what did you guys think about that? Like, is that a, cause I, I had a lot of like consternation around, is this a, is this an okay way to distribute it? Is it dumb? Is our, is my grandfather going to be able to figure this out? Like yeah, stuff like well, that. What, what was your experience of it? Unfortunately, this podcast, at least half of it is very biased towards Amazon. Dylan's wife works there. <laughs> I don't think we're personally seeing the kickbacks from book sales though. So I don't think it actually really affects our, our, you know, family bottom line. Amazon, Amazon takes, uh, I mean, they take like your firstborn as like, (laughs) as like, uh, it's pretty costly down payment on, on, I mean, it's, it's absurd how much of a cut they take of, of stuff like that, but no, people can go to a normal sport.com. And actually I I put in, is it okay if I do a giveaway? Oh Yeah. yeah. So if you um, drop zone giveaway, yeah, if you use the code drop zone, so D R O P Z O N E, uh, wow. 15, 15% off on the book. One, 1% for each of Tiger's majors. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. People check it out. And that's like, I mean, I mean, it's a good stocking stuff for digital, a digital, stuff, yeah, a digital stocking. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an NFT. Um, what am I, which we didn't even talk about Bryson's NFTs That was NFTs my only disappointment year. was that you did not purchase Bryson's NFT to uh, include in the book, but maybe well, next year. Well, one of my friends asked if I was going to make the book into an NFT, and I was like, you, you, have, you, don't know, <laughs> you have no idea what you're saying. And, it kind uh, of is. <laughs> and like, yeah, I was like, can you explain to me what an NFT is? And he was like, I have no idea. I'm just using, <laughs> I'm just using words that, are, that I've seen out there. So, Well, that's awesome. Uh, Check it out, people. He's Kyle Porter. He did a lot of work for your holiday enjoyment. And uh, yeah, it's $15, but 15% off yep. with the drop zone code. So check it out. Thanks, Kyle. Kyle Thanks, guys. Thank Appreciate you, you having here. me.